We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us today is Kano Smith, currently an assistant coach for USL Championship side, Birmingham Legion. He's also worked as an assistant coach in the NWSL for the Orlando Pride, former player at the New England Revolution. We talk about that. Lincoln City, we definitely talk about that. And then he's also represented his national team, Bermuda, 33 times so we discuss the art of being an assistant coach creating a relationship with a head coach facilitating that positive and sometimes negative news to the head coach balancing that support role with the players and then he talks about the lessons from the late great Paul Marner at the revolution as well brilliant stuff much much more brilliant love this chat let me know what you think at Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram, MSC Education on Twitter. Some quick updates from our end. We've got new posts up on the website last couple of weeks. Probably four new posts, set piece work up there, positional training work up there, modernsoccercoach.com. We're also continuing to post sessions every other day and breakdowns on the YouTube page. So please go on YouTube, subscribe. To the YouTube page, Gary Kernin up there. And also, please check out the Modern Soccer Coach new book, Detail. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to support it, we break down a ton of interviews. We've had over 2 million listens over the last few years. We break down the interviews. We look at how they all merge together. Game models, data, development, psychology, leadership, staffing, everything how does it all work? And really enjoy putting the book together. So please check it out, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. There's plenty in there and it's also a good way to support the work that we do. Okay, here's Kano. Enjoy. Kano, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. No, I appreciate it, Gary. I mean, obviously, I've been a fan of your work a little bit. I have a couple of your books and listen to the uh, listen to the podcast. So when I heard, you know, one of my one of my colleagues on a couple of weeks ago. So I'm excited, excited to get on. Brilliant. Brilliant. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for the, for the support. Um, the first quote, I told you kind of like a guideline of what we want. And we want to talk about the assistant coach. Um, I did a webinar last year with Dean Austin and it was all about the relationship and how to manage that. And we had a really good response to it. So I want to almost piggyback off that interview and, and talk to your, go through your experiences and, and little tidbits. The, the, infra, the, the relationship is always a thing that people are like, well, the relationship between head coach and assistant coach that we know is so, so important. Let's just say you, you apply for a job with Coach X. You've never met Coach X. You now work every day with him in a high-pressured environment or her. What are some ways that that you go about building that relationship and that trust? Yeah, I think, well, you know, most important assets of 
of an assistant coach for me is obviously your job number one is there to support the head coach and, and support the players. So obviously if it's someone that you're you're building with and you don't have a prior prior relationship with, you need to show them that, that obviously that they can trust you and hopefully they learn that through the through the interview process, but then they need to trust you personally. And I like, you know, I think are you always gonna agree with things that the head coach does? No, but I think once you you go and you step in front of the players and you're having meetings in front of the players, tactical meetings or individual meetings. Like I think you both need to be on the same page um, and you need to back the head coach no matter what, because at the end of the day, he's the one that makes the decision and you need to, you need to fall in line with that and support that and back and back him up. So that, that will be, you know, my advice um, for someone that's taking a job with someone that they, that they don't know. You obviously need to gain that person's trust and continue to build that. Um, as you go, because obviously at the end of the day, if it's no trust and it's no loyalty, it's it's eventually going to fall apart. So I think for me, those are the two biggest qualities and systems of support. You need to support to support the head coach and, and be there for them, and and they need to to gain your trust and you need to back them no matter what. Because um, I, I think at the end of the day, you see relationships that fall apart, and that's two big two big areas that will cause that. What are what are some ways like what what suits you the best in building early? Is it sitting having a coffee? Is it chatting about the Premier League? Is it watching a game? What 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 are some ways that suits your personality to connect them with that head coach? Yeah, absolutely. I think coffee, obviously, for sure. And uh, you know, it seems like it's coffee shops everywhere now, and everybody <laughs> everybody likes coffee. So you know, obviously, me and me and Tommy, we both enjoy a good coffee, and you know, a lot of individual. Um, you know, side bets that we might have, like it might be hitting a crossbar or whatever, you know, we're always betting a coffee. That's our, like our standard, our standard bet. Um, so that, and, you know, obviously having, having a beer here and there, you know, so obviously sometimes you've, you've earned that and, you know, you've gone on the road and you've had a good result. And I think it's important that for staff that you can do those things together. It's just being social and getting to know each other outside of the office, outside of the field, outside of the players. Um, and however people do that, you know, other people may do different things. People may do, you know, may do yoga together. They may do whatever, but have something outside of the game that as a staff you can do and, and bond and continue to grow together. Some people have young families that they can maybe get the kids together and play around. So whatever it is, just find some commonalities outside of the game that, you can continue to develop that relationship and that trust. And obviously I think me and Tommy have been together for, for three and a half years now. And before Tommy, I was with Tom Samani as another person that I got along uh, personally very well with. And I think, I think building that trust and that loyalty goes a long way to strengthening that relationship. And it's many different ways you can go about doing that. But those are some of the ways that we do it. We'll talk about Tom Sermani in a, in a few minutes. Um, was part of your building a relationship with him before we get there? Was it going to? His, did he go to a quiz night on a Monday? <laughs> yeah. Yes, he had a he had a famous quiz night at Gators Gators in Baldwin Park. He he lured me in one time, so he got me once, not too many times, but he got me in once. But he's you know obviously we'll get into him more. But he was he was the mayor of Baldwin Park when he was there. Everybody, <laughs> Baldwin Park pretty much shut down when he was there for quiz night. Glad. Um, there's a lot of young coaches that that I speak to and that have reached out about different assistant coaches uh, questions and a, a real challenge for for young assistant coaches, particularly in a college game, is this you know an, an experienced head coach who maybe has been there 25, 30 years. There's an age gap, but there's also an experience gap. 
And sometimes that head coach or that assistant coach doesn't have the confidence to disagree. Uh, I mean, productive conflict are, 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 is a big part of staff. Like, what are some ways that, that you've found success with a little bit of productive conflict and, and how would you advise others? Yeah, and I think, you know, working, working with anybody in any sort of relationship, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, there's, there's going to be disagreements. But how you go about the disagreements and expressing your opinion, I think, I think is key. And I think certain people receive information different ways, you know. So some, some people, you know, some head coaches may prefer you be straight up and be direct and be confrontational and say, look, tell me what you think. Some people prefer that. And then... You know, maybe for someone that's not, doesn't receive information well, um, they may receive it individually. They might not like it in, in front of people. They might like it personally. So those two ways you can can go about it if you're going to do it face-to-face. But I think other ways is, I think, obviously written, you know, like obviously you're not going to sit down and write a hand letter, but you can obviously send an email, maybe say, hey, what do you think of this? Um, I was thinking about this, maybe playing this player here or maybe doing this for training tomorrow or through text. Like, I think people obviously just don't all receive information the same way. So if it's if it's directed in someone's face at the time, somebody may just push back and, and be dismissive of it. But if you think if it's sometimes if it's written and, and you can express it a different way and give someone time to process it and time to to think and time to digest it and come up with a response, you may be able to to get in that way. But I think at the end of the day, I don't think any head coach doesn't want the input of their assistant. Um, and if it was someone like that, then I probably wouldn't be able to work with someone like that <laughs> because at the end of the day, you have to, you have to be you as an assistant coach. And that's why you brought that person there. So you don't, don't change your personality and don't change who you are, but maybe change the way or find a different way to deliver the information that you're trying to get across. That's interesting that I, I like just thinking I, I did that for a head coach. And I actually found that it, I don't know whether it suited their personality better, the email, like, and it's so, it sounds so structured and formal, but I actually found that it was a great way. It was always a post-game email, send me your thoughts. So, and it suited me because I felt in person when someone sits down across from me and asks me your thoughts, sometimes you, you spit fire, you go off, I go off on tangents all the time. Yeah. And I found that writing that email actually helped me every week. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so too. And I think it's just, you know, it's just different ways of, so information not just doesn't get monotonous, you know, it's just different ways of doing things and sitting down, you know, obviously if you're doing stuff with players and giving them information, some players receive it better in groups, like they can receive the criticism better in groups. Some obviously went privately, but at the end of the day, as long as the goal is the same and the goal is to help the team be successful and support the team to be the best possible team you can be, I think, any any normal person would would be okay with that as long as the information is coming from a good place yeah let's talk about tom then tom sermani like what what was the what were some things like can you share like where you were with timing of where did you catch him and you thought this will be a a a safe spot almost to, to deliver something that may not be as positive as others honestly with tom he like our form of communication was so was so open and he he was so um willing to let me try and do things and learn and some days he's like look just go ahead do what you think um and you know I think as a coach I I needed that to go in and make mistakes and try and do things in my own um 
and make those mistakes and, and learn as, as I would go. And then he would step in and help. Um, obviously, if he saw me struggling with the session, like he could step in and help because he's just got that, he's just got that way about him, right? Where it's just, he just makes everybody feel comfortable and accepted and, and that you have, you have, um, your information is valued. So I, I honestly felt I could speak to him about anything at pretty much any time. Um, I know we probably had maybe a couple hard meetings or discussions where it was, oh, man, this player shouldn't play or this player shouldn't play. And he was like, look, this player is playing. I'm like, okay, well, look, <laughs> then, I have to, then I have to sit back and I have to support that. But those are, those are really rare. And I think he was just really good for my development because he just let me go and, and learn and, you know, stuff with coaching development. I was doing my UA for B at the time. And I was like, look, I want to do this. And he's, he's like, but I have to miss this. He's like, stop, go. Like, he was like, he was, you know what I mean? It was he's like, I'll be all right. We'll be okay. You go in. You need that. You need to do it. We need you to do that. So he was, look, he's super supportive and someone that I still speak to um, very all the time, pretty much. You know, he's, he's someone that was, that was uh, a big part of my career and my development. So someone that I owe, owe a lot to. He's got a brilliant reputation. Ask any coach that's been around him or, or compete against him. Like, they always smile and laugh and they've got stories. But one of the things, and we, we played against you a few years ago, and, and you guys had, like, you guys were the Galacticos almost, the NWSL, uh, yeah. Arda and Sid and, and Krieger and Harris and Alex Morgan, of course. Like, what are what were some ways talk a lot about managing dealing with people what what were some things that tom did really well with like an experienced group yeah and i think he honestly with again like i said i think he just made all of them feel that their their opinions was was important and it was needed and he would he would be open to listen to the information i think he's he's a really good listener um and letting feel everyone feel that what they think um, is important. And I think that's why, you know, I think we had that, you know, we had our first year, it wasn't really good, obviously being an expansion team. The second year was really good where we lost to, to Portland in a semifinal, but we went on a run at the end of the year. I think we won without losing nine or maybe 10 straight without losing, um, and then end up running into the juggernaut that is Portland. So, um, I think that that was his greatest strength again just making all the players feel that that they were valued and that they were important to the group and you know he you know freedom to go and express themselves and be yourself and i think that was that was one of his greatest strengths is just people just relate to the guy you know like he can just relate to anyone you put him in any room you drop him in any country he's gonna make best friends and he's just one of those people that you put him in the middle of anywhere he's he's gonna come out of it and the people gonna love him and they gonna remember him. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Another challenge with with assistant coaches is that you are a facilitator, and you know you are that that medium between the players and the head coach. And you know, I think the higher the level goes up, almost the, the bigger the personalities. So you do as you build the trust with the players, with the head coach, more more players will come speak to you. Usually, mumbles about playing time and roles, responsibilities, whatever it is. I mean, what are some ways that you know, you talk there about having the, the head coaches back. What are some ways that you can facilitate those discussions and have the back of the head coach? Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes as the assistant coach, your job is to listen, to listen to the players. And obviously it's some things that, you know, I've had players come with like personal issues and outside of outside of football and and 
you know, health issues and things of that nature. And, you know, obviously they don't want to tell anyone, but they, they obviously confided in you for a reason. So I think you need to build that trust and to build that trust is obviously, again, letting them know that you're obviously in it for them and you're in it for the team, but you ultimately have to be there to support the head coach and do what's best for the team. So I'm not, I would never agree with the players say, oh yeah, I should be playing on. Oh yeah. You shouldn't have came off. Like that's, that's just, that's just not loyalty and that's just not on. So you obviously have to back, back the decision at the head coach in front of the player. And then, you know, obviously if it's something that the player really, really doesn't want you to go speak to the head coach about, um, then you don't do it. But if it's something say, look, I don't mind being the mediator and going speaking to speaking to the head coach and speaking about your concern and, and going to bat for you a little bit. If I feel that you're right. Um, but you also need to know that the head coach has a, a difficult job. And as you know, that only 11 can start now five can enter the game and seven can dress. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, somebody that's going to be disappointed and the head coach has an incredibly hard job, but, you know, I think letting the players know that, you know, they're obviously there to support them, but your ultimate job is to help the team win and do what's best for the team and supporting the head coach is, is part of that. But, you know, players do have concerns sometimes and sometimes they are right, but everyone that doesn't play and the team loses, obviously that person's going to feel some sort of way. But at the end of the day, it's never personal. You have to let them know it's never personal. Um, if you don't play, it's, it's a decision that's been made. And at the end of the day, you have to live with it and figure out what your role is, what's best for the team and, you know, sometimes that role changes. Sometimes you're a starter. Sometimes you're playing out of position. Sometimes you're not playing at all. Sometimes you're not in the 18, but you're still a critical part of the team. And I think that's obviously, and we've all been players, that's difficult to take that, you know, that you're not playing and the team won or lost. Obviously, if the team lost, you feel, feel you can help. But if the team win and you feel like you're not part of it, but you are because everyone, the whole group, the whole ecosystem of the locker room, the athletic trainer, the team admin, the equipment manager, everybody's part of it. And in a good culture and a good team, hopefully everybody knows and feels their value. You obviously have to remind people of that at the time, but you know, and in a good club and a good, good locker room, hopefully everyone feels that way. Uh, we talked a little bit before about, uh, before we start recording about just analysis and all the tech stuff. Obviously, the, the role of analysis and data over the last 10 years or five years has just skyrocketed in the game. Uh, what are some ways that it's helped you and your, your processes? Yeah, you know, obviously now when you look at, you know, scouting for one, you obviously don't need to, to go all over the place and, and, and look at players and fly to this corner of the world to look at someone. Like for the, for the most part, there's video out there of someone's played at a decent level there's there's video um so it's helped a lot with scouting and even domestically you can look at players within the league you can look at players um you know in college you can look at players at a higher level lower level um so that's obviously that's obviously helped having all those tools like y scout and instat um and those obviously help with you know opposition scouting as well um you know i would do a lot of my set piece prep and work via via y scout because you can get the playlist and you can get the you can get the, the corner kicks and free kicks all in, in a row and you can use them. And I think you get a better view. You get a close-up view. You can see the team's clusters inside the box, outside the box. You can see the zoning or man marking. Um, so I tend to use those um, for opposition scouting and then, you know, player scouting. Um, but then you have the others, you know, you have instat and more in-detail stats. So we're luckily, luckily enough to have a, a relationship with Sanford University, um, a local school here in Birmingham. And they have, I think, one of the only 
sports analytic programs in the country and they take you pretty serious. Um, and one of the, the main professor, um, Dr. White, he, he is a pretty avid soccer fan. So he loves, he loves working with us. He's a Leeds, he's a Leeds fan actually. Um, so he's, uh, he's, he's always excited to work with us. And, you know, I think the most, the thing that we use them for the most right now is just collecting data and stats. And we've kind of come up with, with plays and, you know, things that you can register through stats um, that we feel help us win games. So it could be, you know, second balls and um, stopping crosses and, and penetrating passes and recovery runs. And, um, you know, it's a few other, it's probably like eight to 10 things that you can quantify right now that we feel help us win games. And when we hit a certain number of those stats, and it's always evolving and changing, um, but once we hit a certain number within those statistical numbers, we always feel like we win. And when we look at our losses, they're always below a certain a certain threshold. Um, so it's that's that's been interesting for us. And obviously, we we've kind of obviously made it um, an incentive for the players, and we give out an award for the player that's had had the most um, had the most of those plays throughout the week. So it's always moving and, and tweaking. Like it's kind of hard to incorporate the goalkeepers <laughs> at the moment because they, this, the plays that they can um, come up with to help us win games, obviously, just trying to prevent us from losing games really is their job, you know. So it's it's kind of difficult to get them get them involved and get them more numbers. But we're trying, and it's a, it's a moving document. Um, but for the most part, I think that's where the, all the the numbers for saying statistics are really really helping us is is coming up with ways that um, that we can quantify plays to help us win games and win football matches. Very good, it's fascinating. Um, obviously, you played against the mighty Lou City there recently, and I wanted to ask you, what does a game day starting from getting to the ground almost like? What does that whole day look like from from your roles and responsibilities specifically yeah i mean for me i think as a minimum i try to get there um an hour before the players so you know we normally have them report if the game's at four they're reporting at 2 30 um give them 90 minutes to get settled and get everything done so i try to get there an hour before that um but then i i'm responsible for most of the warm-up so the, the technical and the tactical part of the warm-up that we do i, I will handle that um how we do it, we kind of flip-flop with our with our sports science guy and he will he will get them ready just to do a little bit of technical work with me. Then I'll do the technical work. Then I'll send it back to him and he'll ramp them up even more before we get into a possession and then a little bit of, of back um, defensive shape and, and some finishing and maybe a little bit of midfield work for the midfield group. But um, so that's that's how we would do it. But I would run all the technical and tactical stuff. And then um, you know, obviously. I'm really particular about how the, I try to look at groups for the possession part and I try to put people close to each other that are going to be playing with each other so they can form a little bit of a relationship beforehand and just right before the start of the game. And I mean, if you watch us, I always give the pennies out in the locker room. Like I never give it out on the field. Like I have them come out with the pennies. So I try to take care of every detail that I can. Um, before the game because then I don't want to be out there like just handing out pennies for me I just think it's I mean I'm there an hour before so I have so much time so I'm, I'm trying to cover every little detail that I can do to make the players lives easier and obviously some their players are going to be players some of them forget like we had one guy <laughs> forget his penny last game even though I said don't forget your pennies before you come out somebody still forgot theirs so um that and then, you know, just supporting with the with the set pieces. Obviously, we will have all the set pieces up on the board. 
um, the markers. And depending on how we've, we've done the match, sometimes how we're doing it currently is that, um, so we have a couple of weeks to prepare is that I will take the opponent and I will do their style of play, their buildups, their pressing. Um, and then Tommy will do the, the set pieces. So depending on where we are in that week, if I'm the guy that's done the set piece prep, because if he's took the game and I've done the set piece prep, we say, Hey, okay, these guys are starting. Um, who, who you think's there, the number one, two, three, four, five targets. So obviously support with that. And then during the game, obviously just being there to support and being confident of the head coach and letting bounce ideas off of you and maybe give suggestions and maybe give things that, that they won't think about. And then, you know, obviously you have to be prepared for them to accept the information or they don't. Um, and then the set piece, the set piece instructions for the substitutes. Obviously I'm responsible for all of that right now. So um, just giving, giving them the roles. And obviously, you know, with that, you just can't always put somebody in a spot. You just can't throw a guy. It may not always be a like for like change. Like you might be taking out a big guy in a near post spot and the shorter guy is going in. Well, you probably can't put that short guy in a near post spot because for us, it's really important that that ball never really makes it over, over the near post. So obviously you may have to make a little tweak and a little adjustment to that. But so just got to be cognizant and mindful of that. So you just can't always throw somebody into position. Just it's not always a like for like change. So if I was ever glad, I'm like in my in both clubs I've worked at, I've never done that job as an assistant coach, and I've never been so happy not to do it because always the the, the head coaches are always there's always an L, a, a moment during the season. Who's matched up with such and such? And like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's stressful. It's stressful for sure, and especially if you're trying to get the player on, trying to get them on really quick, and and then the player's trying to get on. Referees like, hey, we're ready, and like, no, like, you know, you have to have to get the information in. You have to get it correct because obviously that that can change that can change a game. So you have to you have to be all buttoned up and detailed. And are you always going to get it right? No, but you know, at least at least try try your yeah. best. What does your halftime look like with Tom? Like, what do you do? You guys have a you know, set minute by minute. Does it does it change every game, or or what's your process? Is there? No, we. I mean, we will. We would always. Luckily, now the stadium we're at, we have a nice, nice uh, coach's locker room. Um, so we can we, sometimes we just always go in there and we chat, and he will say, "This is what I see," and he's like, "What do you guys see?" And do we need to change anything? What do you like? Um, should we change anyone? So that's that's kind of, and I think it's good. You know, I think Tommy's really good about that. Like he, you know, gives the players time to think and process stuff. Um, so give them a few minutes to you know, work things out themselves and speak amongst themselves. And then we'll come in and we try help them and help them and guide them. But it's also, you don't want to overload them with information, right? Because it's just a short period of time and you need to probably fix just one or two things. Or sometimes you don't need to fix anything. Sometimes it's just a message of, hey, just go keep the level the same as it was. Um, and and or push push on and, and do better. But I think that's that's sort of what I have time. Like for me, it always feels like half time's never enough, but it's probably it probably is. Coaches, will take a quick break here. As always, really appreciate you listening to the podcast, really appreciating the support. Our goal at Modern Soccer Coach, as always, is to keep the content coming. We want to keep it free for the most part. In order to do that, if you'd like to support what we do, uh, please check out the work on the books and the webinars, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. The new book, Modern Soccer Coach Detail, is out now. If you enjoy the podcast, what we've tried to do is put all the topics together, game models, data, development, psychology, leadership, staff, and we've even put a chapter on social media. 
and then look at how they all work in an elite environment. What place do they have? How do you get that balance right? With all the insight from some of the great minds of the game that we've been fortunate enough to have on the show over the past few years. So again, always appreciate the support. Uh, if you'd like to go that extra yard and and continue to support it, ordering a copy of the book would be huge. ModernSoccerCoach.com slash shop. Please check it out. Thank you very much. Looking at your, your journey and, and going through that there, I have, this is the my favorite question of the day. You, you were at the New England Revolution for a few years. What was Stevie Nicol like? Another legendary Scotsman. <laughs> yeah, again, Stevie was, uh, I think, you know, Stevie's greatest strength was that he, he had a real eye for, for talent. Like he knew what a good player looked like and he knew what good football should look like. And he obviously gave us the freedom to go and express ourselves and, and be who we needed to be. Um, and look, he, you know, he took over MLS at a time when draft picks were, were it. You know, that's where you got the majority of your roster from. And for him to come out with guys like Clint Dempsey and Taylor Twalman and Pat Noonan, Shari Joseph, uh, Michael Parkhurst, Jeff Lorenowitz, um, so many guys that end up being a key group of our team was from from the draft and that players that he selected and look Jeff Jeff Lorenowitz went on and played I don't know Jeff was Jeff came into the league the same year I did and making little to no money at back then and they were called like developmental player contracts and um, I don't know how he survived living in Boston on those contracts but guy like that was down the street at Brown and Stevie saw something in this guy and Jeff ended up playing. I don't even know the number, like three, 400 something games in MLS. And he just retired after like 18 years. So finding players like that, I thought was, was Stevie's real strength and, and, um, and then developing guys and giving them the freedom to go to go in and express themselves. But I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that team. I enjoyed playing for Stevie. And then another big part of it, sadly he passed away recently was, was, was Paul Mariner, but Paul, Paul was someone that I was, I was really close with um and he's you know he's just he's someone that for me will always kind of be a like to look at and 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 try base how he made me feel um that's how i try to make my players feel like like i'm there for them and try to support them and he used to tell me stuff all the time and i'm like wow this guy really really believed that he say, look you could be you could be the best player in the world you're the best player on the field today um and sometimes players players need stuff like that. And it's like, you know, it's, he, he was he was fantastic. But the two of them together were where it's just like you, you couldn't have played for two two better guys that had a, a good relationship and friendship and they were such they were such good friends off the field and traveling. They just made they just made it fun. They made training fun. Um so it was a really it was a really good experience and probably the biggest biggest experience and life-changing experience in my football career and development. Like, I don't think I'm here coaching today without those two. Um, and just, I just try to base, base my whole makeup of how, how I see myself. It's, it, it definitely comes from a lot from, from those two. I met Paul, um, well, Paul and Stevie having a beer. I went to a Galaxy game, like, oh, this is years and years ago. And they were playing Chivas on the Sunday. So they yeah. were having a pint at the game. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, shock, shock. Um, and, and, oh, like, uh, my dad was a big Paul Mariner fan growing up, so I was buzzing to meet him. But yeah. I, 
and he, they were both great. But then I remember watching this when when he passed in the summer. I remember sitting one night and just I got I got just completely sucked in to all these these shows or the you know the the compilations of him and people yeah. talking about him. Yeah. It just seems his personality was just yeah. electric with oh, people. Unbelievable, unbelievable people person again. Like one of those people that just like. He can go in any room and blend in with any group of people and relate. And he's just, just such a relatable, like humble, humble guy and just willing to help people and sacrifice like his time and his, his energy to, to, to help to make the group better. And, you know, the amount of hours he, he spent individually with me, trying to make me better, like on the side or after training, when it was taking people on 1v1, whether it was crossing, um, like I'm just forever, forever grateful to him. So I'm just glad I got to experience him and, and play on under him and you know we we stayed in contact for a while and i think 2018 was the last time i saw him and it was just really it was really good to see him i saw him in orlando i was obviously working with the pride at the time and he he came in and he did he was doing tv for new england at that time it was just so that that was really that was the last time i saw him and i'm glad that was the last time because it was a really good experience hugged each other and it was just uh, yeah well, good dude was- oh, man. Uh, what was training like every day with them too? It was well. Well, I tell you, I always started with those two. So we always had um, we always had a goalkeeper coach that I would say I would describe them as not being the most mobile <laughs> goalkeeper coaches. So for some reason, they selected someone like that. So again, we had when I first went there, we had Dave Finoli and you know bless his soul as well. He, he's, he's left us too. And he was, you know, another great American player that people might not have heard of, but he, he was obviously black backup goalkeeper to Tony Miola for, for the longest while. And I think at the time he was having, he was having some feet issues and I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but those two were just, you know, they were out there pinging balls and, you know, they would always, I don't know what the game was called that they were playing, but they were out there pinging the balls and they were always one hopping, right? So the ball just bounces one hop and it's like skidding off the grass and, and, and he's trying to control it. And they did the same with another guy, uh, Gwyn Williams, another another guy that was has been around for a while. And I'm not sure what Gwyn is right now, but um, again, Gwyn was old at the time, but another fantastic guy. And they, they just found a way of bringing people in that were – that just fit into their personalities. And I guess it was probably pretty hard not to, to be honest, because they were just two fun-loving, go-lucky guys, and they just made it fun. And, you know, it was, it was serious when it needed to be serious. And, you know, obviously, but they also gave us the freedom within the structure to go out and express ourselves and be who we were. So it wasn't too controlling. So I always felt it was the right balance of, of structure and enjoyment. And, look, you know, in competitive teams and good, th- good teams, like, people fall out and players go at it. And sometimes they might be pushing or fighting or whatever, but I always felt that they always managed it right. And if somebody crossed the line, then, you know, that they dealt with it. But I, I felt that very, really happened because obviously everybody respected each other and, and they created a really good fun locker room to be. So. How was, how was England then? I've, you know, I, I read and done a bit of research that you played for Chris Sutton there. Yeah. So, <laughs> So that time at Lincoln, obviously Lincoln's is flying now. Um, they're in League One. So at that time we were in League Two, and you know, as as most clubs do, go through a tough period. And as I went over there, I I went to England. And I I went to like a few different places. I think I first went to South End, and I ended up in Scotland at St Johnston, and then 
I ended up down in Lincoln because I had a friend from college that lived in a town nearby and he, Lincoln had just fired the manager and the youth director was in charge who my friend knew. So I went and trained there for two weeks and he was like, look, I like you, but I'm not getting a job. So after two weeks, he was gone, he was fired. And then Chris Sutton got the job. Um, and then when I first went, um, you know, then it was like two weeks of training with him. He wanted to see me for two weeks. And I'm like, man, I'm like, am I ever going to get like a contract over? And I, I had just been cut by, by Red Bull earlier that summer. So that's what allowed me to go up to England because I did have a, a UK passport. And I always, always wanted to, to give that a shot. Um, so then, you know, the first little bit, you know, I was, I was one of his guys, you know, like I played, I played a bunch and, and then, then towards the end, you know, as, as it do, and as it happens, I just wasn't getting in the team and wasn't dressing. So I'm like, okay, well, I've had enough of this. And I only signed a short-term deal, you know, six months until December. Um, so then I ended back, ended back in, uh, in MLS with New England again, but it was, it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. Um, yeah, I love England. You know, I see the culture of, of football and is everywhere is just completely different. And even in that small town of Lincoln, the football team is still kind of the centerpiece of it. Obviously, you have the university there that's pretty big, but you know, in every in every little small village or town in England, the, the local football team is, is it. And I really enjoyed the aspect of it. And I went to a lot of big games. I saw England Croatia World Cup qualifier, and obviously England beat beat them to qualify for the World Cup, and I think it killed them. It was like five nothing that time. But I went saw an Arsenal Man U match. I went saw a Fulham Fulham match because obviously I was teammates with with Dempsey, so I, I connected with him and I got to go see him play at Fulham. So I, I you know I did a little little mini world tour, and it was it was really good. I enjoyed it, and obviously England is always one of my my favorite places to visit. But that was a pretty harsh winter. That year I was there and it was, you know, obviously at League Two at the time, like teams didn't have undersoil heating. And so it's like it was days we weren't even training outside. You know, we were in the gym and I'm not playing anyway. So I'm like, OK, I've had, I've had enough of this. It's time to go back, go back to North America. I didn't even like I couldn't believe it because I didn't even know that that Sutton coached. I didn't even know he had a background and, and obviously does a lot of media stuff now. I listened to a podcast with him. Um, Simon Ferry, uh, they do a great job. Them boys, like, it's very, very funny. And they had him on, like, he is, what was he like? He sounds really harsh with a shooter. And, look, he, he was a, look, fantastic playing career. Like, obviously, top playing career, played at the highest level for a long time. Um, look, the spell at, at Lincoln wasn't that successful. Um, and he probably figured that that, that wasn't for him. Um coaching because he's obviously gone into the media stuff and he's done he's done really well with that um but it's you know it's obviously it's a high pressure situation and I think you know obviously I had some hard means with him too and it's like you know just like how my players are coming out like why am I not playing like I would have those same conversations with him and he would tell me exactly why he thought I wasn't so I think one of his strengths was that he was he was honest and he was harsh um but I don't think obviously everybody receives information like that all the time so you know, I'm sure he would do some things differently in, in his managerial career as we all would. Um, but, you know, obviously, as in terms of playing career, like it was it, a lot of the positives. He at that time, he had um, a really strong relationship with Martin O'Neill, who was who was Aston Villa manager at the time. So we spent a good amount of time up there taking buses up there and playing, playing in friendlies and, you know, on off weeks for, you know, so it's got to experience their wonderful training facility. Um, get to see all the stats like for the matches up on the board in that time they had James Milner and then I think he left 
and I think he may have went to Man City, but you know they would have all their numbers and the data tracking, and he was always he was always top for the opposition and for Villa when he was there. So that was good. And then getting to play against um, <laughs> Mark Albrighton was there at the time, and he was like playing in the reserves. <laughs> Like he was playing in the reserves. Um, and then all of a sudden, now you look at the guys like a Premier League champion of Leicester and still been in the Premier League. So it's it's interesting to see how people's football journeys kind of, you know, like you intertwine with people sometimes. And, and that now that this guy is a Premier League champion, and like I would have never, never thought that, that he was at that point in time. But you could see at that time that he was a good player and he worked hard. And like, why is this guy not playing? So it's, yeah. But that, but that mentality piece of, yeah. get more out of your career like yeah. Dempsey got a like when you look at Dempsey's uh, was he from Texas like, when he was at during that time he could have yeah. played for a top four Premier League team yeah easily yeah and look I think Clint's Clint's greatest greatest asset was his he had like he had no fear you know like he didn't he didn't care he was going into any tackle with anyone like he wasn't backing down with from anyone and he wasn't afraid to try stuff and he was just fearless, like getting getting onto the end of stuff inside the box or shooting outside the box. Like he he just, I think that was his greatest asset. You know, I think I heard Guardiola talking about Ederson the other day about how the guy just like forgets <laughs> on one play to the next. That plays over, and then he's on to the next play. And whether it's good or bad, I think Clint had a lot of that, a lot of that quality. You know, like he just from good or bad, whatever it was, he was forgetting it and moving on. And you know, if he tried a bicycle from twenty yards and went in or it didn't go in like he he didn't he didn't care like he was on to the next one he was trying to win the next play and that carried him that carried him carried him really really far but look a, a top player and top competitor like you know and, and at times you know like i said in, in a good team you got to get into situations and arguments and maybe <laughs> physical altercations with your teammates and i think our our reps team had no shortage of that but i also think that's what that's what made us good um, and he was as competitive as they came and wasn't backing, like I said, wasn't backing down from anybody. So the self-belief that he had was, was unbelievable. You know, I think, again, that's the mentality piece is what separates a lot of people. Um, is that the belief in yourself and when things go wrong, can you quickly get yourself back to the best version of yourself? And I thought he did that outstanding. You mentioned there as well about, about Paul Marner, you know, doing that with you. And then obviously watching Clint Dempsey get more out of his career, and then you know, you're you're working with players now who are young and have maybe have aspirations to to play European football, MLS, Champions League, whatever it is. Is that something that you know? How or how do you connect in with that belief aspect or the no fear aspect? How do you how do you try and get that out of players? Yeah, and it's look, it's it's difficult. You know, um, when somebody's obviously has self self doubt, and some people, you know, again, receives information different ways. Some people may need a kick up the backside, and some people might need need a shoulder, an arm around the shoulder, and and try and help them get there. And do you always get there? No. Um, but you know, I think it's important that you know the person um, and figure out what they need and what that person needs from you. Because at the end of the day, as a coach, you're there to help the player and help the player be the best version of themselves um and however it is you go about getting them there like when you need to be hard you need to be hard but i also think you need to be sometimes you need to be you need to be human and and look at what the human may be going through and you know like i remember a situation our first year we one player he was just he just went his playing wise just went went downhill like pretty quickly and we didn't know 
quiet for a while. I was like, you know, what's, what's going on with this guy? And then eventually you find out like two weeks later, like his best friend at home passed away in a car crash. And like, man, he didn't know. Like, I wish I, wish I would have known that. So I think talking to them and, and feeling what the players are going through and, and ultimately, like I said, people respond to information differently and they learn differently and try to figure out and ask them, what, well, what can I do to help you? Like, I think being, not just looking at them as number one through 23 on, on, the, on the schematic and trying to help the person. Because at the end of the day, you get the best out of the person, you're going to get the best out of the player. So. Um, last couple for you. Let's say now in your pathway, in your journey, um, as a number one now, let's say you've arrived at, a, at an MLS or USL or Premier League or Serie A, whatever it is, and you're having to hire a number two. Um, what are some things that 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 you would look at um, for a young coach to work for you? So I would definitely want somebody that has a different different uh, skill set than me. Um, and again, not someone that's. I don't always want somebody that would tell me what I want to hear. Just tell me if you think differently than me. Then tell me, and let's let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Someone that's not afraid to be innovative and, and try new things and um, see things differently than, than I do. I think, I think that's really important. And obviously have strengths that are different than mine. Um, I think I listened to an interview from Klopp and he was talking about how he's not afraid to let assistants take things and go on and do stuff. Um, because at the end of the day, he surrounds himself with, with really smart people and <laughs> whether he believes or he doesn't, he says that people that are smarter than he is. And, and maybe they're smarter in different areas than he is, right? So it's obviously, you know, him and motivating people. And like you watch it, people want to die for the guy and run through a wall because he knows how to manage and motivate people. So whether, I don't know what his weaknesses is, I'm sure he has some, um, but I'm sure his assistants fill those voids and he lets them take it and run with what they need to. And I'm sure he trusts, he trusts in his assistants. And um, so whatever it is, and, you know, I think all aspects of coaching, I think I can get better at, whether it's in-game, coaching, training sessions, um, managing the entire environment, dealing with the individual player, dealing with the team, leadership aspect. You know, I think it's so many different aspects of coaching that you can look at it and, and break it down. Um, and I, I think I would just, I want somebody to have strengths and information in areas that I feel that I'm, that I'm not as strong in um, and whatever it is, you know, it's obviously, you know, as we were speaking earlier, I think I would love to have, someone that knew more of all the bells and whistles on all the analytical tools and can make it really pretty and, you know, make it more relatable and stuff for the players. Maybe I, I would probably look to have someone like that, but obviously somebody that can relate to people different, differently than I do. I think that's one of my strengths is relating to individual players and finding ways to relate to them individually. So somebody that can relate to them differently than I can, um, I think is also important because, you know, as, as you get older, the, you get older and the players get younger. So you're going to have to eventually find someone. You don't want somebody the same age as you because then they're just going to think you're two angry old guys. But maybe find someone that can be the bridge um, to, to, the, to the players. But I feel like I'm, I'm more of that now. So hopefully they don't think I'm that old yet. And yeah. More closer to connecting to them than being the old grumpy guy. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, that, that young coach who's you know, maybe twenty something, early thirty something, whatever it is, and they're and they're looking at starting their coaching career and getting the 
the professional level, what are some things that, that if you were rewinding it to start again, what are some things that you would prioritize? I honestly think for the most part, and I think both jobs that I've had now in the professional level and even so coaching in general, I, I think, you know, I, I started, I guess I would say professional coaching was, you know, working in the Revs Academy after I got done playing. And then I worked at, at Southern New Hampshire for about six months before getting a job in Orlando and now here. Um, and I think honestly, it's all about your relationships with people. So, um, you know, just how, how you treat people and how you want people to remember you and making an impression on people. Like you obviously don't want to be too eager and too overzealous and too pushy and emailing everybody, emailing that person, texting that person, calling that person. Like you don't want to be that pushy, but you also want people to know that, that you want jobs and that you, that you, um, that you want to get involved in the game at a higher level and you want to, and you want to continue and grow and develop yourself. So I think, just honestly, I think it's your relationships with people that's for me is the first and foremost, because I would never have, have been in Orlando and I've never would have been here if it wasn't for relationships, like the relationship in Orlando. Um, I had a teammate now, um, two teammates, Anthony Pulis and, and Rob Valentino. Anthony and I were teammates at Lincoln um, and then Rob Valentino and I were um, teammates in New England. Sorry, and Anthony was teammates with me at Lincoln. And now they're both – Anthony's obviously Miami FC head coach and Rob's Atlanta United assistant coach. But when those guys were there, Samani had been hired and their office was right next to his. And he said to them, do you guys know anybody that's sort of like you guys, younger and maybe just kind of into coaching, can still run around and maybe play if needed to, that that you guys that you guys could recommend? And, and they – they brought up my name to him and then he called me and then two weeks later I was in Orlando and then the rest was history. Um, and then same here in New England, our president, Jay Heaps, he was my teammate. Um, we played together obviously in New England. And then when Jay was the head coach in New England, Tommy was his assistant. Um, and Tommy's son was in the Revs Academy at the time when I was working there. So it's, it's all, it's all for me, it's all about relationships and how you treat people and how, how you want to be remembered. And when certain things come up, um, you obviously need to be the right fit, but you obviously you don't want to be the guy that's pushy, but you don't guy or girl that's pushy, but you also don't want to be the person that's quiet because because closed mouths don't get fed, you know. So you gotta you just gotta find that you gotta find that balance um, and, and being and and wanting to grow and develop. And obviously, coaching education for me is a big piece because I think obviously everyone has the game in their head and they know how they want the game to be played, but to be able to articulate it and transfer it over to players get them buying all into the same meshes. I think the coaching education piece really provides like a really good, a really good structure um, for structuring your ideas and helping you grow as a coach, but also again, building relationships, right? So now I'm on a court with like 10 other people and obviously all really different and all obviously really smart. And obviously I have all, all their own connections and coaching at different levels in this country. So I think for me, that's the best part of coaching courses for me is like going on and, and meeting, meeting different people and becoming friends with different people and going through struggles with different people and doing assignments with different people. So that's, that's, that's for me would be my, my advice is have good relationships. And because I think I heard, I think it was LeBron said something the other day, but don't be, don't be, an a-hole to people because you never know who you're, who you're speaking to. So 
um, just always treat people how you want to be you want to be treated and be kind to people and be supportive when you can be brilliant um, and then the last one how, how you know talking about people how on did you put up with Lloyd actually for a couple of years <laughs> Lloyd uh, that's my boy Lloyd's uh, what one guy so me and Lloyd me and Lloyd probably catch up um, Probably every every two weeks, two to three weeks, and catch up. Yeah, you know, asking what's going on in NWSL and and what's going on. He asked me what's going on in USL, but I, I think he's a lifelong friend. But um, you know, obviously, somebody I can give a hard time to, and he can give it right back to me. But he's you know what what a smart guy and hard worker, good goalkeeper, coach, innovative. Like he's always he's always coming up with stuff, and he never complains. Like when he needs to jump in and go and go, like he's just. He's just a really good worker. So hopefully at some point in the future, we can get to work together again, because obviously we, we've become really good friends and we, we stay in contact. But Brilliant. yeah, he's... Uh... <laughs> I always I always love it when he posts something on social media, because you have a B. He always comes <laughs> on the B. I love that. Every time. Every time he posts something, I'm putting three Bs underneath, because he's busy. He's busy. So I'm putting three Bs underneath. So. And to be fair, he's got he's got me back a few times now. Anytime I post something, a picture, he's all over it. So I, I brought it on myself, but yeah, wow. he's he's busy, but he, he wouldn't have him any other way. Wouldn't have him any other Man, way. When he when he was upside down doing fifty cent, yeah. <laughs> he's he's a clown, man. He's a clown. So I, I needed that that day for some reason. I saw it and I was like, oh my god, this guy he's he's hilarious, funny dude. So he's great to have around and work with. Like he's you know he's obviously like minded and. You know, obviously has his own ideas about the game, and I think it's good to because it'd be some days and be like, "Lloyd, what are you talking about?" But it's, you know, it's it's good to have that. And then you think back and look like, "Oh, that actually actually makes sense." So it's it's that good work balance of Brilliant. having somebody that can can tell you difference, but also again seeing the same the same goal. Like he's 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 great. He's incredible. So he's I'm glad he's he's landed at a good club and he's really enjoying it. Um, in Kansas city, he says it's a well, well-run organization and he's enjoying his time there. And the team's, the team's improving and getting better now. So I'm happy for him. Off to the player. Great stuff. Great stuff. Fantastic. Man, that was, that was brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. I wish you the best luck of the rest of the season, uh, but not too much luck. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk again. I'd love to get you on again. No, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I, I enjoy it. Obviously, like I said, enjoy your work. I have, couple of your books and I listened to the podcast and as I said one of my colleagues from the coaching course is on a couple of weeks ago so I thought yeah it'd be really really cool to get on so definitely appreciate it and when when I um when we get to Louisville we'll catch up grab a coffee yeah, like later in the year. thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.